Uh, more particularly, we're looking at the tribes and uh, seeing what God has got to say to them. So that being the case, if you come with me to two places, to Genesis 49 and Genesis 29. Genesis 49 and Genesis 29. I'll read from Genesis 49 first. Reading from verse 1. And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Gather together and hear, you sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, you shall not excel. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. And then in Genesis uh, 29... And reading from verse uh, 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son. She called his name Reuben, for she said, The Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. She called his name Reuben, for the Lord has surely looked upon my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. You can't help feeling sorry and sympathetic towards Leah. Used as a bargaining chip by her father against Jacob, she entered into a marriage that turned sour the next morning after the honeymoon. That's when Jacob first realized that the one he wanted to marry and should have married, Rachel, actually, it was Leah, was in his bed. Any hope of Leah living happily ever after was absolutely crushed whenever she saw the look in Jacob's face that morning. Any hope of a future happy life was dashed as well whenever she discovered that her father betrayed her and that her younger, more beautiful sister would be given in marriage to her husband Jacob. Poor Leah. What an awful predicament. Betrayed by her father, unloved by her husband, and now she has to live in the same household with the ignominy of knowing that her younger, more beautiful sister has won the affections of her husband, Jacob. <coughs> Leah was in a tough place. Life can be tough and cruel and very unfair at times, can it not? She must have felt cheated, used, trapped, unloved, probably inferior, certainly in an unenviable position. However, 
In God, life has its compensations. David, his illegitimate child that he had to Bathsheba, in spite of all of his prayers, all of his tears, all of his fastings, the child still died. And he had been heartbroken. But in God there are compensations in life. The next child was Solomon, who is one of the most famous kings in all of Israel. The wisest man that ever lived. The richest king that ever lived. Ruth has lost her husband. Her mother-in-law has no more sons left in her. She's too old. And she has embraced her mother-in-law's God, Jehovah. But now she lives in Israel, destitute, poor, no hope of a future, no hope of a family, no hope of a husband even. But then comes God's compensation. She meets Boaz, the wealthy, very wealthy relative of Naomi, who immediately falls in love with her, marries her. And their child, Obed, becomes the grandfather of King David and becomes in the very lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ as recorded in Matthew. Joseph is betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, had his reputation trashed, thrown into prison, forgotten. But what compensation! <laughs> What compensation. Now he's prime minister of all of Egypt. And his own brothers come begging for food. Leah was about to be highly compensated by God. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, the AV says hated, but probably means more unloved. He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And so she conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, the Lord, the Lord surely has looked on my affliction. Now therefore my husband will love me. The name Reuben in Hebrew means see a son. See a son. I, I can imagine her going up to Jacob and that little bundle of life wrapped up in her arms and saying, look Jacob, see a son. I produced a son for you. If there's anything Jacob wanted more in life other than Rachel, it was a son. A son to carry on his lineage and his heritage and his posterity. And a son especially because any son could have been the Messiah. Or could have been at least the line of the Messiah. And so thrilled... She goes to Jacob and says, See, a son. I can imagine her going to Rachel too. Saying, Look, Rachel, see, a son. I give him a son. <laughs> what compensation. What a difference that son made in her life. God had intervened. 
Now she had someone special in her life. Now she could say to everybody she meets, See, a son. God gave us his son. We are no longer alienated from the life of God. No longer unwanted or undervalued or second best to anyone because God gave us his son. The Lord has surely looked upon our affliction and we too can say to Leah, see a son. Zion 9 and 6, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Hmm. What a thrill that must have been to hold that little boy in her arms and to know that God had not forgotten her, that God had not forsaken her, that all the raw data she got in life, suddenly, in this moment, it didn't matter. She had a son. <laughs> Let's look at the words that Jacob spoke many, many years later to these sons of his. And even though Reuben was his firstborn, and even though he spoke to Reuben first, I remind you again that we did not take these in the order of birth, but in the order of tribes, according to Numbers 10. And so the precious stones in the breastplate of the high priest were according to the tribes. But you can imagine old Jacob, he's propped up in his bed and he's gathered his sons around him. No doubt Reuben, his firstborn, would be probably standing at his right hand. I wonder what he felt. I wonder had he an inkling of what was coming. I suspect he was hoping he wouldn't hear what he was about to hear. It's not very positive. In verse 3, he says, Reuben, my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength. Now, that's what a firstborn was supposed to be to his father. Supposed to be his might, the beginning of his strength. Such importance was placed upon the firstborn son that he would always get the double portion. Now, just say, a father... Like Jacob had 12 sons. He would divide his whole inheritance into 13 equal parts. But he'd give two of them to his firstborn. He gave one each to the other 11. So it was a very privileged position to be in. And because he would be the firstborn, he would naturally assume leadership of the family at a later date. And the rest of his brothers would look up to him as the firstborn. But sadly, Reuben never achieved any of this. <laughs> That's what was supposed to happen. That's what he should have got. But he didn't. We'll see why in a moment. Verse 3 again. The excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. These are qualities that Jacob would have hoped for in his firstborn Reuben. But alas, 
they were sadly lacking. He did not live up to the Father's expectations. Did not live up to anything like his potential and what he should have been. There's just a couple of moments in his life that's recorded that give us a little glimmer of what should have been. In Genesis 37, whenever the brothers are older and they're going to kill young Joseph, it was Reuben and Judah who stepped in and said, No, this is not right. Let's not kill him, but we'll sell him to the Ishmaelites. Genesis 42, again later on, whenever the old father sends his sons to Egypt to buy corn because there's famine all over the world and the unknown world, but Egypt was the only place that had corn because of the dreams that Pharaoh had and that Joseph gave the interpretation. You remember the story well. And how when they went there, how that Joseph, of course, they didn't recognize him. He spoke through an interpreter. He looked like an Egyptian. He dressed like an Egyptian. And so they stood there. He knew every word they were saying, but they had no idea what he was about. And then he accused them of being spies. When he knew who they were, he accused them of being spies. They were frightened. He says, no, we're honest men. We're not spies. We're honest men. You've got a father and a mother. We had a brother, but he's no longer with us. <laughs> and so Joseph accused them of being spies, but in order to prove they weren't, he said, I'll tell you what. See that young brother you've got that you talked about, Benjamin? Bring him here. While you bring him here, I'm going to take one of your brothers. I'm going to keep him here until you do. So he kept Simeon. So whenever Reuben went back to the father and told him the story, the father was devastated. He says, I've already lost Joseph. And now Simeon's there. And you want to take Benjamin? He says, you're going to put me in my grave. <laughs> and Reuben says, no. He says, I promise you. In fact, I'll do more. I'll stand guarantor. I'll bring him back. And if I don't, you can kill my two sons. So out of all of the life of Reuben, there's the only two little glimmers of what should have been in all of his life. But sadly, tragically, Jacob, speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Remember, he's speaking prophetically now. In verse 4, he said, You are as unstable as water. You shall not excel. Now, that must have hit him like a thunderbolt. Standing there in front of all of his brothers, waiting to hear the prophetic word of God. And his dad said, You're unstable as water. You're never going to excel. Chief characteristic of Reuben was instability. In his life, generally, he proved to be unreliable, unfaithful, hesitant, always wavering. 
And just as his father said he would, be unstable as water. You shall not excel. And then he says, verse 4, Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Now here, Jacob reminds him, after 40 years, remember now he's speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's not just saying this because he's upset. He reminded him of the terrible, treacherous sin he committed against his own father with his father's concubine, Bilhah. You can find that in 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. And it tells us there how that he went up to his father's bed, as it were. And because of that, because of that, he actually lost the birthright. And he lost the right of leadership within his whole family. 1 Chronicles 5, verses 1 and 2 tells us this. But in Genesis 35... And in verse 22, here's what it says. And it happened when Israel dwelt in that land. That's Jacob. Israel, when Israel dwelt in that land. Let me find it again, verse 22. As it happened when Israel dwelt in that land, that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard about it. But nowhere is it recorded he did anything about it. There's nowhere recorded that he said anything about it. But he heard about it. But it must have hurt him. It must have deeply disappointed him to know that his firstborn, the one that would be his might and his strength, the excellency of power and the excellence of dignity, would actually stoop to such a terrible act and 40 years later, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he suddenly reveals it. And note this. After he said, you went up to your father's bed, you defiled it. Then he turns around and said, and it's as if he said to all the other brothers, he says, he went up to my couch. Perhaps that's the first time they heard about it. He went up to my couch. You can almost hear him thinking, can you believe it that he, my firstborn, did this? Reuben was to find out that his unbridled, selfish act of adultery would come with a very heavy price. A few moments of pleasure would result in a lifetime of pain. Sin is forgivable, no question about that. But the consequences of sin often will last a long time and sometimes for a lifetime. Remember it said about David because of Bathsheba that the sword never left his house and it never did. William Varner said, and this is a great statement, you need to write this down. Don't sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. Don't sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. And that's exactly what Reuben did. He sacrificed the permanent, what should have been, on the altar of the immediate. 
So this trait of instability that was in him, this same behavior became evident in his descendants, in the tribe of Reuben. It's amazing how the trait characteristics follows down through the line so often. Number 16, there was a rebellion against Moses and Aaron, against their leadership. Korah, a Levite, was the ringleader. Of course, in all, in all rebellions, in all church splits, could I say, there's always a ringleader, but there's always cohorts. There's always those who will join in the ranks. And Dathan and Abiram, who were Reubenites, unstable as water, they joined in this insurrection against God's leadership. And God immediately judged them for it. And the Bible says the earth opened up and it swallowed up Korah, Dathan, and Abiram and all of their families and all of their goods. In an instant, it was gone. And literally, and I said reverently, the fear of God swept through the whole camp. Later on, whenever the tribes was about to enter into the promised land and be allocated tracts of land by God, that God had earmarked for each of them, we find that Reuben with God and the half-tribe of Manasseh said, no, we want to stay on this side of Jordan. We like the land here, thank you very much. I'm paraphrasing. doesn't matter what God has chosen for us. This is what we want. I haven't time to go into this, but you know that caused a lot of problems later on in life. So that was their instability. And during the great battle against Kinyabin and Sisera, the one I've been telling you about, that Deborah, after she won the battle... Uh, wrote a great song of rejoicing and victory. And she commended those who came to the fight and she condemned those who didn't come to the fight. And here's what she sang and said about Reuben in Judges 5, 15 and 16. Among the divisions of Reuben, there were great resolves of heart. Why did you sit among the sheepfolds to hear the pipings for the flocks? The divisions of Reuben have great searchings of heart. Whenever the word went out among all the tribes to come to the battle, many came. And we saw the other week how that Zebulon and Naphtali, how that they came and they jeopardized their lives even to the point of death. But not the Reubenites. No, they deliberated. They had committee meetings. They had consensus. And they ended up, they didn't take their stand. They wavered, they thought about it. What if, and should we, and could we, and will we? And in the end, they didn't. They didn't. Their own sheep was more important to them than fighting for God's cause. And too often, this is exactly what many Christians do. They live on the other side of Jordan, and they settle for second best. Not what God had planned for them. 
Not what God wanted for them, but what they wanted. Oh, they want to be part of Israel. They want to go to heaven. They want to be part of the church, as it were, but in their terms. Not really to do God's will. As long as we get to the promised land, that's all we care about. But not really to do God's will. When it comes to taking up God's causes, they always find a way to talk themselves out of it. <laughs> Did you ever notice that? It's always some excuse. Always. Forever some excuse not to get involved in the battle for God's causes. Their personal lifestyle is just too important than joining in with the rest in the good fight of faith. Unstable as water, he said, you shall not excel. That really, truly was the case. Not one single prophet or judge or leader or any person of any significance, not one in the whole history of their tribe came out of it. Not one. Did not excel. In fact, in the census that was taken before and after their wanderings in the wilderness those 40 years, it was discovered when they came out of it, there was less than when they went into it, whereas Judah came out of it with more than they went into it. And so because of their instability, they're weakened. In Deuteronomy 33, whenever Moses later on, much later on, whenever he's prophesying over the tribes rather than the sons like Jacob, but over the tribes, he says, let Reuben live and not die, and let not his men be few. It's almost as if Moses, this is like a prayer he's praying. And it's almost as if he's, he's wondering, will, will they make it? Will they survive? Or will they just dwindle away? And he prays, oh God, he says, please, let Reuben live and not die. Don't, don't let his men be few. It's almost Moses is, is much more generous than Jacob. <laughs> They're not in good shape, but Lord, just don't don't just don't let them just drift away and die. A bit of grace there shown. So, what lessons can be drawn from Reuben's life? Instability will lessen our potential for God. There is no question. In fact, it will greatly lessen our potential for God. If, we, if we're in, unstable, if our life is marked with instability, we will look back on a life of if-onlys or what-ifs or could-haves or should-haves or might-have-beens and will not really ever get to what God intended for us. Reuben's life story is a story of what should have been, what could have been but it didn't happen. So instability will greatly lessen our potential for God. Second lesson we can learn from this, short-term decisions may have long-term consequences. Short-term decisions may have long-term consequences. Reuben never realized that that short-term decision he made to go in on to Bildad, Bilhah, never realized that 
for the rest of his life, he'd pay a price for that. Probably thought he got away with it. Probably thought it was 40 years ago. Maybe dad doesn't even know about it. Don't think my brothers know. But God knew. David and Bathsheba, short-term decision, long-term consequences. Boy, if he could only have turned the clock back. How many times in our lives we wish we could have turned the clock back? And God is so gracious and God is so good that many times He forgives and many times the consequences are not great. Thank God for that. But sometimes, sometimes, and here are occasions when the consequences was long-term. Samson Delilah, another classic case of sacrificing the permanent on the altar of the immediate. And so there's lessons to learn in this, isn't there? And sometimes we're faced with decisions that we forget the big picture, don't we? We forget, well, how will this be in the light of eternity? How will this be in the light of my life farther down the road? How will this be in the life of my children? How will this be in the life of my family? So God save us from making short-term decisions that's going to have long-term consequences in the negative that's bad. And thirdly and finally, God's cause will, will require us to battle. God's cause will require us to battle. Don't stay on the other side of Jordan. Don't be like the Reubenites. If there's a battle to be fought... Get stuck in and fight it. Fight God's cause. Let me tell you something. I don't know if you're watching the news or reading papers. Every single day, every single day, you see Christianity being squeezed. Every day. Every day. Just reading yesterday. Maybe it was this afternoon, I forget. Did you see where a cafe in north of England, I think it was Lancashire somewhere, a Christian cafe, where somebody, they had a TV screen up and they're showing a DVD of scriptures. It's the whole Bible, you know, and scriptures on a DVD, got up on the screen. They had the sound turned down, just showing the scriptures. Somebody complained and the police came and said to the owners, it's illegal to do that because you're offending somebody. Actually, it's not illegal to do that. Police doesn't even know the rights many times. Don't even know the law many times. And the Christian Institute, Christian Christian Institute, is fighting their case. Could you imagine that you'd live in a a, a Britain where the police would call? You think it's a police state? This is worse than North Korea getting. Where you're just showing a scripture on a screen in a Christian cafe, and the guy says, "What are they going to? They're going to come into our church and tell us we can't preach a scripture? Will that offend somebody that comes into church?" There's a cause to be fought. We'll have to fight it. And that may mean standing up sometime and saying something. It doesn't make you popular. Not very nice. But our rights has been eroded and eroded and eroded. Reuben wouldn't even jeopardize his sheep. The day of battle, his belongings was more important than God's cause. He played it safe, but he lost his strength 
his tribe was greatly weakened. No matter how good it may seem on the other side of Jordan, let me tell you, it's only second best. It's maybe not even second best. Compared to what God has got for us, compared to His will and His purposes in our life, it's maybe not even second best. And even if it was second best, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. Because He never experienced the land that the Lord had mapped out for Him. You can be sure that God's choice would be infinitely greater and infinitely more fulfilling and blessed and satisfying in the long run. But they says, no, we'll stay in this side of Jordan. Ribbon, you shall not excel. And if ever a word was true, but Ribbon, it was that word. Not only did he not excel, but his whole tribe did not excel. If we excel for God, if we put God first, I believe that the blessing of that will filter into our families. It will filter down the line. Maybe you and I are here tonight because someone in your background, someone in your family was godly and prayed for you and did not compromise and stood up for truth. And maybe you're the recipient of that blessing. Maybe that has come down your line. Well, maybe the whole lot of other stuff has come down the line we don't even want to talk about. But somebody that will stand for truth and righteousness, somebody that will fight God's battles, in God's battles, somebody that will fight the cause, somebody that will do what's right and excel in the kingdom. Let me tell you, our children will be blessed and our children's children will be blessed. Do you believe it goes down the line? Now we know that God's no grandchildren. They've got to make up their own mind. But more often than not, more often than not, good will come out of it if we're true to the Lord. Amen? And so there's Reuben and Judah and Zebulon. So we're going to do some more. And as I said, there's going to be sometimes there maybe be three in the one because we've got to get through this. Otherwise, this is going to stretch a bit. I said this would be a short series. I just forgot about having to deal with all these precious stones. I thought I could maybe squish them all in a bit quicker, but I can't. <laughs> Haven't got to the hat yet either. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> we'll get there. Praise the Lord. Amen. Good. Now